0: Hello everyone and a warm welcome from the WHU Women in Business Club to our event, How to Speak Like a CEO. My name is Irina, I am co-founder and president at WHU Women in Business Club and also MBA part-time student at WHU. I would like to welcome to our special guest, Oliver Aust, uh, best-selling author, CEO and expert on leadership communications, will give us our great insights of how successful leaders are communicating. Oliver will uh, share in the next 30 minutes, followed by the questions that you send us in advance. And meanwhile, please feel free to use the chat function or raise your hand when uh, we will have the Q&A session. So Oliver, again, warm welcome. And yeah, the stage is yours.
1: Thank you, thank you, and i much much appreciated. So I'm really excited so many of you are here tonight. Despite the sunny weather, I'm sure you have other things to do. So for some reason, this topic seems to resonate, so I'm really, really happy. I want to make sure you get the most out of this session, so I will uh, have a brief conversation at the brief talk at the beginning and then obviously we want to spend as much time as possible on your questions so you get the specific information insights you are after and if you want we can even at the end if someone there's a volunteer potentially we could do some life coaching and uh, if someone has a challenge a communications challenge they're facing on the job you know maybe we can do like a quick 10 minute session so the others see how this would work and how quickly one can actually get to some breakthroughs in the area of communications. Now, I've, basically, I've spent, com- spent all my life, basically, all my edit life in communications. My passion started writing newspapers when I was eight years old. Of course, they were just an old typewriter. They weren't not really newspapers. I was always drawn to communication. So it kind of felt like a natural fit for me. And I've done this in London. I've done this in Brussels. I've done, well, I have been doing this for the last eight years or so in Berlin with my own communications consultancy. And we also, well, I also write books about communications because books are passion communication our passion. And Speak Like a CEO was originally conceived as the title of one event three years ago where we said, wouldn't it be fun to invite people to an event called Speak Like a CEO? And before we know it, like 300 people registered. And it was just, you know, just in the network, putting out the word. We had a few interesting CEOs on the panel. And then we thought, well, okay, maybe we should do a podcast with the same title. We just interview the guests on the panel. That'd be a good start. Then we already have like four or five Uh, Potential podcast guests, and then we see maybe others are interested as well. So here we are, three three years later, three books later, over hundred CEO interviews later, and I can tell you I've I've learned quite a bit. Even though three years ago I was already in the communications business for probably you know seventeen years or so, so it is a field where you what you can learn, what you need to learn, and you never stop learning. And this is what's really excites me about it. I never have the feeling that I know my job one hundred percent. I keep an apprentice mindset, there's always things I can can still learn. And obviously communication is changing as well. Now, why is it important? And you're kind of here, so I assume you already believe it's important, but let me just give you my two cents on this. For one, when you look at a company internally, as a CEO, you probably have a strategy, right? And the strategy is very important because the strategy tells you how to get from point A, where you're now, to point B, which is the business plan where you want to be. So you have the strategy, but the strategy is essentially useless unless you convince the other people around you, your teams, the employees, the, you know, your customers, etc., that your strategy is actually the right path. And to do that, you need to communicate and never stop communicating that strategy. So internally, to execute your strategy, which is what CEOs have to do, you need communications, you need persuasion, and you need to be really good at it because we no longer live in the command and control environment where in a factory, the boss would just say, this is how we do things, and, you know, they would happen. Try to do this today with today's workforce, with today's knowledge economy. It just doesn't work, which is why persuasion and communication really is a fundamental hard skill for CEOs and executives and anyone who wants to become one. Now deliberately choose the term hard skill because sometimes I still hear people saying, you know, those soft skills, they're they're also kind of important, aren't they? They're not soft skills, they are hard skills. Try to become a CEO and stay a CEO today if you're not good at communications. And as uh, I think it was Andy Horowitz who said, um, you know, as a company grows, the biggest challenge tends to be communications. So that's internal. Now look at outside the company. Why is communications important? Well, you have to have sales, you have to have marketing, you have to have PR. Why? Because you want to build trust with your customers or clients. Without awareness, without visibility, there's no trust. And without trust, there's not going to be no purchase. So the business essentially can't function, can't fulfill its role unless there's trust with the audiences outside the company. So this is this is. Also getting more important because basically how do we build trust? We build trust usually on a human-to-human basis. We are building trust as people with other people. We're not building trust with abstract organizations we don't know anything about. Sometimes this works, but it's very expensive to build a brand just based on, you know, brand attributes of a product or company today we want to see who's behind that company what are the values of the people who run the company who build the company and the younger company is the more important this becomes if you're mercedes if you're apple and you've been around for decades and people know who you are and what you stand for it is it is important but it's not the most important thing for younger companies who do not have a huge brand recognition for the brand it makes sense to focus more on the people so, the old Adage in business, know me, like me, trust me, pay me, is basically you know, still valid, and you need communications to go through these steps. How do, we, how do you communicate as a CEO? And uh, you know, We, we dubbed this event uh, How to Speak Like a CEO, so I'm guessing you're looking for some pointers, some steps to take, and I'm you know, very happy to take you through. So, what I want to do now is just give you briefly the nine steps that i think you know anyone can take and anyone should take Many of those, in particular the first ones, will be relevant for you as well, even if you're not yet a a CEO. And I think it's good to understand the whole path. And the reason I've basically came up with these is because I coach CEOs and and we we obviously advise companies and you need a process to take them through, also to build trust, obviously, but also so that you can um, actually see if you're doing things in the right order and you're doing the right things rather than just throwing basically... Uh, you know, a tactical service at people. And that's really the the difference. You can go in, and, and I think with communications, the challenge for us is often that people do believe they already sometimes that they can already communicate, uh, especially CEOs of big companies, if you know, very successful people. So often it takes some convincing, and processes obviously help. Now, I will share this later with you. I've written a whole ebook on this, which I published the other week. So I will share the link in this chat. Um, a bit later, and also the podcast episode. So you can listen to it and you can read it. So uh, no need to take notes right now. It's it's all there. So what are the nine steps that can basically build the reputation of a CEO or even a thought leader? And uh, I framed this as, as the thought leadership. So from business leader to thought leader in nine steps. The first one is strategy. You need a strategy, and the strategy is your master plan to get you from where you are to where you want to be as a communicator. And a strategy is several parts. One part is obviously what's the objective? So what's the reason, the why? Why are you on this journey to building your reputation to become a thought leader? Secondly, audience. Audience is, of course, being mindful and know about the audience because all communications is audience specific. You want to communicate in a tailor-made way to your audiences. And thirdly, I would mention positioning. Positioning is hugely important because positioning goes well beyond just being the CEO of a company. It goes basically to the, to the heart and soul of who you are and what you stand for. And positioning is often complementary to the position you hold or a narrow version of that. So let's say you're the CEO of an energy company, you probably want to narrow this down. Maybe you're also a thought leader on renewable energy uh, in, in the Southeast Asian region. So you want to narrow this down. You want to be seen as a thought leader on the topics that really matter to you and that help you in building your reputation. So strategy first. I think that's, that's pretty logical, right? You need to have a plan before you can go on this journey. Number two is develop your narrative. Now. It means basically you know the story, you know the narrative about yourself. Usually companies have a narrative, but you need one for yourself as well. I would actually advise anyone who listens, to have a narrative. And that includes your story, that includes your passions, that can include, you know, your background. Something personal, relatable. And think about how it makes people feel. This is not a CV where you basically transmit information. This is really about what do you want other people to feel about me, what do you want them to know, what do you want them to to do uh, as well when they hear your narrative, your story. So you have a strategy, you have a narrative, you know how you position yourself. Third step would be a digital makeover. We've all been online for many, many years. So there is a trace. There are probably outdated LinkedIn biographies. There may be an old blog which has been abandoned, a podcast that didn't work out, some silly photos on Facebook. So what we often do is say, right, let's take stock here and let's see what's out there about that particular person. And then, you know, delete the stuff you're no longer proud of and make sure people find the information that is up to date and mirrors your narrative where they should find it. Where do people look for you? Definitely on LinkedIn. Definitely on Google. Sometimes if you're a thought leader, people look on Spotify and Apple for podcasts. Have you been on podcasts? So that's a good point to to look at. Uh, Amazon as well. So thought leaders write books. So, you know, if you type my name into Amazon, my books pop up. And, you know, those are the kind of business search engines. There's not just Google and LinkedIn. There are also these others. So keep those in mind. But definitely you want to LinkedIn to be, uh, you know, basically up to date and, uh, you know, as, as good as it can possibly be. As a profile, we're not even talking about posting. We're just talking about people find you. What do they find? So digital makeover, we can all need it from time to time. Then number four, choose your platform. By that, I mean that in order to be visible, build a reputation, people need to be able to find you online. And you probably want to go beyond just having passive profiles on, say, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. But it may be, you know, maybe Instagram for you if you're in the B2C business or if you are, you know, in a visual industry, maybe an architecture firm, design studio, etc. then it's probably also or particularly on Instagram. So think about your audience. Think about the messages you want to put out and where your audience is. So let's say you're B2B, your B2B audience is primarily on LinkedIn, you want to probably be strong on LinkedIn, unless, of course, you hate LinkedIn or you hate Twitter. In those cases, I, uh, I always advise people not to be very active, because if we do actively dislike a channel, I think we all have these, then we're probably not going to transmit the energy and the sparks will not fly. And therefore, it's probably better to focus on platforms or channels that work better for you. So choose your digital channel, choose your platform. That's number four. Five, and I think that's an interesting one, it's craft your signature talk. This is something we do with CEOs on a regular basis, because as a CEO, as a thought leader, or someone who aspires to be that, you're often asked for, to be on a panel, for instance, and you can, you can build on that. So you can, you can Relatively easily get on panels. There are a lot of panels, digital or otherwise. You can get to become a speaker at an event, an industry conference, etc. And for that, you also need a signature talk. And the signature talk is not your PowerPoint presentation or your usual spiel you give in the company about, you know, this is my unit and I'm you know I'm this and we're doing that. It's it's about more than that. It's about more than you or the company, it's about the issues, the subjects you care about. Because then it's then it will get interesting. And in a way, this is this is if you like my, you know, one of my signature talks. I have a few, this is this is one which you know is is obviously something. That I can, I can use in different environments, different areas, even though I always think, what does this particular audience need or require? So it will never be quite the same, you will always be different, but there's always an element of signature talk in any talk I give. So think about this as your TED talk. What would your TED talk look like? And I, I would really encourage everyone to go through these steps and then have a TED talk, because the building blocks and the process that, requires, that is required to get you to having a written, is a written TED talk, which you can then give, is extremely useful, because once you put ink on paper, it really requires you to think hard about your positioning, your messages, the sound bites, the structure, the stories you can tell, and you can use these building blocks in many, many forms. Number six gain visibility now we've laid the foundation in the first five steps but now you want visibility and visibility can mean a lot of things and certainly it means being active on at least one social media channel usually the platform you've chosen it can mean getting into the media it can be you know who's you know very very active in this group so you can you can lead a group of like-minded people you can build your own platform you can have your own network so uh, you know i'm i'm often organizing alumni drinks for my university in berlin so again this is you know you gain visibility with interesting people there are many forms and it doesn't necessarily have to be the big media interview it can be something smaller to start off with but the idea is always to create basically virtuous circle where people see you maybe in, in a format or on a a platform, an event, you get invited to more things and then obviously you can build that momentum. And for CEOs, obviously this is important. What you want is that these opportunities come to you rather than you having to chase these opportunities. Okay, so you have the visibility externally. Now let's look inside the company. So number seven is inspire internally. And this is very important, as I said in the beginning, that you want to ensure that the people in your company, your, your team members, whether you're a team leader of five people or, you know, a 500,000-person company... You need to ensure that your people internally are inspired because, as I said, command and control, that's fortunately not the age we live in anymore. So you want to inspire your people internally. And obviously, this depends on the size of the company, the culture of the company. But there are many more ways today that go beyond the old-fashioned intranet email kind of communications. We do internal podcasts for clients, so that's a great way to communicate and inspire internally you can have very intimate formats so i always suggest to CEOs do something you know coffee with phil or you know coffee with caroline kind of formats where they meet with employees they can join they can drop in you meet in the cafeteria for coffee in the cup of morning in the morning so you want to be transparent you want to be visible you want to be inspirational rather than someone who just communicates information right number 8 protect yourself So communications is about promote and protect at the end of the day. A lot of what we talk about is about promote, but there's also protect. And protect is very important because crises are more frequent today. They spread faster and they're more severe often. So more people know about your crisis quicker and often quicker than you as a company or as a CEO can react. So we do a lot of crisis training, crisis simulations. We talk about the golden hour of crisis communications. You have one hour if you're lucky to put out a good response. So a company that has not thought this through, a CEO is not trained to speak up in case of a severe crisis, they're really risking huge reputational damage. Because you know, if, you're, if you have a certain size as a company, the question is not if there will be a crisis, but simply when. And what we see more and more are cyber attacks and, you know, ransom holding and, you know, basically everything that has to do with cyber because there's a lot of criminal energy out there. And these people out there, they do attack companies and they steal data and uh, they blackmail companies and so on. So it's not pleasant. And you better be prepared for those instances. And, and then there's reputational. So companies tend to be prepared for operational, but not necessarily for reputational, because they don't want to look there. But both of these are very, very important. And even if you're, you know, you don't think this, you know, this, is, this can't happen to us, you know, we're not at that level, we're small companies, say, you know, be prepared, think about the worst cases and be prepared. Because, you know, it may be annoying to spend time preparing for potential crisis, but think about how annoying it is to deal with a crisis that you haven't prepared for. So number nine, let's wrap this up. For me, this is becoming unignorable. And this is really for people who want to be thought leaders. And unignorable is the the title of my, my latest book. And the story here is that there's a Steve Martin quote. And Steve Martin, the American comic, said many years ago in a talk show when asked about career advice, he said, well, be so good they can't ignore you. And this is, of course, great advice. We all need to be really good at what we do. This is why you're at Bihau, because they show you and make you even better managers and executives and leaders. But there's also the element of showing people what you do. So let the work speak for itself. That was sort of, you know, that was okay back then. But today, I'm afraid we also need to make sure that people know about your good work. And this is often where we come in. So I know you're already really good at what you do. So then it's a matter of communicating the good things you're doing. So do good things and talk about it in a way means, you know, you're on the path to becoming unignorable. Now, to be really unignorable, to be really seen as a thought leader, you, you obviously need to go beyond the things we talked about so far. That can, for instance, mean that you write books or a book and you see a lot of politicians like to do that, especially in election years. You see more and more CEOs. You see some of the big VCs are doing it. And I work with um, about 10 CEOs at the moment who are writing books with me in mastermind groups. So this is definitely something that's picking up because it is, it is hard. It is hard writing a good book. So that means that not many people will be able to do it or find the time to do it. So writing a book could be something. You could launch your own podcast or go on podcasts regularly. You could really be, say, a LinkedIn top voice and focus on getting tens of thousands of followers on LinkedIn. So being unignorable means that you are visible, you're unignorable in your industry and niche or niche. It does not mean you're famous for the masses. It does not mean you're Instagram famous of million followers. You know, think about who are the people who really make a difference to your life. To your business and focus on these and this can be a relatively small group of people i'm a big fan of you know being famous for the few and focusing on the people who actually make a difference rather than trying to you know the scattergun approach of trying to reach everyone which which will not work anyway Mm -hmm. so those are those are the nine steps and just to recap i said at the beginning it's it's very important that uh communication is taken seriously it's a learnable skill but it is a hard skill because you need it to ensure that your strategy is enacted in your company and you need to build trust externally with customers and stakeholders. And then take nine steps. Devise your strategy, the first one. You need to know where you're going and why. Secondly, develop your narrative. What's the story you tell others about yourself? What person are you? What's the slogan on your t-shirt that tells people who you are? Now, then number three, Perform a digital makeover. Make sure that people find you and find the right things about you. Get rid of all the old stuff that, you know, no one needs to see anymore. Four, choose your platform. Be clear about what social media platform you want to focus on because you can't deal with all of them. You probably want to be really good at one rather than spreading yourself too thinly. Five craft your signature talk. Think about this as your TED talk. What are the 50 minutes you can just off the cuff talk about and be really exciting? This takes some work, this takes some practice, but it's absolutely worthwhile. Six, gain visibility. Go on podcasts, speak to the media, be on panels, go to events, etc. Number seven, inspire internally. That's what leaders do. Number eight, protect yourself. Because promotion is great, but protection is equally important and is often neglected. Number nine, become unignorable. Go beyond what I just talked about. Have, write a book. Launch a podcast. Find something that really differentiates you from all the other people in your industry. And that's really the final, final step, the cornerstone that ties everything together. Now, what does that mean for you? And I'm really excited that you know we have so many people here today. So I think you already know that this means something for you, for the steps you're about to take in your life. First of all, I would say take it seriously, regardless of where you are, whether you're relatively at the beginning of your career or whether you're already a CEO and have your or have your sights set on becoming one. So take it seriously because it is basically. I, w- I would even go as far as saying that. People today race to the level of their communications abilities. Yeah? You, you will not rise higher than your abilities in communications because people judge your, your acumen, your intelligence, your business savvy by the way you communicate. And they will judge whether you're ready for that next step or whether you're not ready. So communication really is often the answer to the question, how can I get promoted? How do I get that job? How will I be involved in this interesting project? And what I find interesting is that, you know, there are often people who think of themselves as natural communicators. Maybe they're more extroverted. And there are people who think of themselves as introverted. I'm not a talent. I'm not, you know, I'm not comfortable, you know, to which I always say, look, it doesn't matter. You know, extroverts and introverts both can be great communicators. And often I find that introverts are actually better communicators because they take it more seriously they will not go into a talk and freestyle they will not go on an interview in an interview and, and try to wing it they will be well prepared they may be a bit nervous but even if you're on stage and you're nervous people are more likely to listen to you because they see that you take it seriously they know that they will probably be nervous too and there's no judgment people will just think well she really cares about what she's about to say so better t- pay attention think about it this way so if you have the choice to to listen for the next 50 minutes to someone who's like really slick on stage and you know is clearly doing his usual spiel and someone who's a bit more excited a bit more nervous uh, but has clearly thought out something that's that's true authentic original and I, you know i would venture guess that most people would choose the latter because it's just more interesting and probably insightful so it doesn't matter where you see yourself on the spectrum you know it's just a matter of accepting it's it's you know, it's important and it can also be good fun because mastering the skill is, uh, you know, opens doors. It makes it easier in many respects. It will save you a lot of time because if you, if you know how to uh, quickly prepare a good speech or quickly prepare a presentation, it can save you hours. I also find because, you know, this is, this is a question I, I often get and which, which also popped up in the questions, I believe, is the difference between men and women should be, you know, I don't think so. I, you know, I'm not a fan of sort of gender stereotyping. I think both men and women are often excellent communicators because it's a learnable skill. What I would say, however, is that women are often more intentional about their communication, which I think is a good thing. And I think most people are. You know, we all should be intentional about our communication. And that, you know, if I, I suspect it has to do that. Sometimes women are more in the spotlight and are judged a little bit more than men uh, when they speak, when they present. Um, you know, very interested to 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 hear more about this and what what your experiences are. But I would I would think that you know there's not much of a difference, but women are more intentional when it comes to communication, just on average. And I think that's a good thing. So to wrap it up, I think today we uh, we rise to the level of our abilities to persuade, to inspire, to communicate. And I'm very excited to hear your questions and, and have a
0: conversation. Thank you so much, Oliver. So we will start with the questions uh, which you sent to us. And then please feel free to move your hand and ask uh, ask what you want and what you desire to to find out from Oliver. So the first question, Oliver, I, I need to admit the questions are very, very good.
1: Yeah, they're first, excellent.
0: <laughs> the first one, where do you find the confidence to speak and represent yourself as a CEO in such uncertain times like nowadays?
1: Yeah, yeah. So first of all, let would say practice leads to, to confidence. That's, that's the case in all areas. And I think I, I, I already mentioned this. Secondly, I would say authenticity, because to me, authenticity means that what you believe and what you say and what you do is congruent. So you, you walk the walk, right? And if you do that, if you're an authentic person, authentic communicator, and dare to be authentic, because in corporate environments, that's, that's sometimes not easy. But if you dare to be authentic, it is actually easier to communicate because you're speaking your truth, right? You don't have to second guess yourself and remember what you said the other, other week. So be truthful, be authentic, and practice. And there's an interesting combination here, I think, to, which is empathy and competence, so in your communication as a leader you want to show empathy because often what you do and what you decide will affect a lot of people in their lives and obviously that's that's a responsibility we should take seriously as leaders so empathy is important but only empathy is not enough you need to combine it with competence because you know if if you're only competent but, but have no empathy then you know it feels very soulless and people probably won't follow you if you only have empathy uh, you know maybe 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 that's that's nice but we will only follow people who you're who also competent right so if you combine empathy and competence you know heart and soul then you're on the right path I would say for for leaders times are always uncertain so I don't think our, of course our times are uncertain but I can't remember a time when it wasn't uncertain there's always something going on and you never know what's around the corner so in those cases I think what people are looking for is, is honesty transparency then you're not pretend over all the answers or to know what's what the world will look like next year. But the, that you're honest and transparent about these questions uh, but also show that you have a plan, right? You, you know what needs to be done in order to deal with the uncertainty. So it's not about denying uncertainty, it's about having a plan to deal with uncertainty.
0: Super. So the next question from um, a colleague of us. I've been a functional uh, specialist since, since the start of my career. The question is, how can I signal or communicate to my peers or my superiors that I have what it takes to take a general management topic?
1: That's a great question. And everyone who becomes a senior executive uh, goes through that phase. And this is often where we come in because it requires a different style of communications. Think about a typical middle manager. What would that person do? person's communication style look like often you know picture someone 40 pages of powerpoint um, communicating information essentially this is often what middle managers do what that's their role and that's fine but as a leader you're not really there to communicate information you're there to communicate knowledge insights wisdom and lead people so there's a big difference between say middle manager or functional expert and someone who communicates as a leader so you focus more on not just what people should know, but what people should know, what they should feel and what they should do. So there's a difference, I think, in the approach that a middle manager would usually take and the leader's approach. Also, they would take few, you know, you use few words. I think that leaders often communicate on point. They should communicate on point with a lot of clarity, a lot of repetition, because it's not about transmitting information. It's about making sure people understand one or two things and act upon them. So the objective of the communication is usually different. It's not information, it's inspiration, insights, act upon them. So that's, that's what I would say are the main differences. And when you use that as your North Star to say, do I inspire, do I lead, do I, uh, do I ensure that people feel and do the right thing, not just know the right thing, then you are on the right path.
2: Okay.
0: Super. Very interesting answer, but also a very tough question. The next question, how can I speak to a CEO? I usually have to prepare presentations, a lot of presentations for C-level executive. How can I effectively communicate with them better through my work, but also verbally? Mm -hmm. What are those rules when giving a presentation to C-level executive? And how can I speak the same language? With them?
1: It's a really good question. I think the most common trait I see in CEOs that they're impatient. Often meetings take a long time, presentations are pretty long, but that's not for CEOs. CEOs want quick information, and they want to know what what you're going to do about it. So what I would do is really uh, so. We often do, we do briefings, we do a lot of presentations at that level. And there's, there's a key difference here. Again, it's not so much about um, the information, it's very much about the inside and the action that follows. So, and I think often people make, this, make the mistake that, okay, the CEO is in my meeting, I've got half an hour with her. So I'm going to use that time, right? I'm going to give, I want to show what great things I'm doing, and here's all the information and lots of slides. Scale it back, right? Scale it back to what really needs to be said and understood, fewer few words, fewer slides. And people, you know the CEO will appreciate it because they're very impatient and they want a conversation. They probably have questions. So be prepared for the questions because that's what I often see that the, the one-way communication is over-prepared but the two-way communication is under-prepared, right? So lots of slides, lots of thought has been given to the slides and the sort of the monologue but very little to the question. And I think those are the two key differences. And uh, I would encourage everyone to just, as always, you put yourself in the shoes of the audience. If the audience is the CEO. What does she want to know? What questions does she have? Where does this fit in with her overall strategy? Because if you don't do that, you may get a very sh- you know, short answer of, you know I know all of that, or you know uh, this is not what we are at the moment. So you want to make sure that you think this through throughout the conversation rather than just a, a monologue.
0: Mm-hmm. Super. Thank you so much, Oliver. The, uh, the next one. How can I, well, as a CEO, how can I be influential and inspire others to execute the company's uh, vision, mission and plan for the future? Yeah. Because, you know, it's very hard to to give this uh, <laughs> this start as a CEO, as a new CEO in the company.
1: Yeah. Indeed. So let me tell you it's not done. Often people come together for days. They craft a vision statement, which is then laminated and put on some wall, or sent out by email, or it's somewhere in the office. But it doesn't really change anything. That's not the way how you inspire people. What's a better way? I think the key here is to understand how people feel inside the company and if that needs to change. And I think that's the reason why you know statistically about two thirds of employees disengaged, don't know what the vision is, don't care what the vision is, and probably spend their time at work doing other things. That, that's a big challenge for companies because there's a lot of costs and productivity loss and just, you know, human misery, you know, why can't we all, you know, be fulfilled in our jobs and, you know, certainly more than, you know, maybe a third of us should be fulfilled in our jobs. So I would, I would assess how people feel about the company, but by talking to them. And if it's disengaged, if it's you know disinterested, if they don't share the vision, then okay, how can I change this? So first, you need to change the your understanding of what needs to change, the individuals' feeling that make up for you know a better company environment, and then make sure they understand that things are changing. And that's where interesting formats came in, as I mentioned earlier. Brown bag lunches, have coffee with me, you know, audio content, video content. Use your strength as a leader to communicate in the ways that suit you, whether it's town hall or one-on-one, can be bespoke, can be mass communication, but probably a mixture because you need to reach a lot of people, but you also want to engage with people in a smaller circle so you can really dive in. And if you do that, I'm pretty confident that, you can influence and inspire others. You need to basically over communicate and make it engaging. And if it's under communicate, if there's just not enough communication to keep people engaged and, and project a vision, that that's a problem, which you can fix by communicating more, but it doesn't help you if it's not engaging. So you need to communicate a lot, but you need to do it in an engaging way. And this is how you shift how people feel. And, you know, Listen to them. Often management thinks that, okay, here are quarterly objectives and this is what the financial year needs to look like and then pressure is, is put on people. Um, people generally not inspired by quarterly financial objectives. That's just a fact. So, yes, it's clear that that's important because it makes everyone's job safer, but you also need to ensure there's another vision. Let me give you another example. So one client came, we, we advised a client last week, and it was literally about... Uh, compliance issues. Legal wants to ensure everyone knows what compliance issues are there, that everyone sticks to the rules, et cetera, et cetera. You can see people's eyes roll. It's just, oh, you know, another thing. It gets in the way. It's super boring. No one's going to read these legal memos, right? So what do you do? You change the whole frame. You change it to, we want to do the right thing as a company. You know, and you want to work for a company that does the right thing. Fact is that some of our competitors engaged in, In in, in activities that were a bit icky, right? And we don't want to do this. We want to do the right thing. So you you start shaping the frames in a different way. Rather than telling people what to do and the command and control, you engage with them at a level, at an emotional level, that they understand and appreciate.
0: Bert, thank you so much. You know that we spoke about that we need to be authentic and so on. We have also a question regarding this. How uh, we can balance our personality with the communication? So in other words, how can we ensure successful communication while maintaining the authenticity?
1: But Why is there a contradiction? So my take on this is, yes, you should be authentic. And authentic, as I said, means what you say, what you do and what you believe are basically the same thing. It's not, uh, I'm acting out today because I'm in a bad mood. Some people define it that way, but it's not, that's not what authenticity is. So if you believe and say and do, you know, that's the same thing and you walk the walk, then you should be authentic, right? You should not feel pressurized by corporate environment not to be authentic. Now, I get that there are are limits to this totally get this but leaders are often the ones who are more interesting more engaging more more unique right if you if you communicate like everyone else at your level how do you stand out so you always want to uh, make sure you're authentic as i said i don't see the contradiction here but it would be interesting to dive into this potentially if if someone in the audience thought that there is a contradiction we see if there really is one And if you really feel, maybe to add this, if you really feel there's a contradiction between your personality, your authentic self and what the company requires, then is it maybe not the right place to work? That's a question I would then ask. But often people just feel they can't be authentic when in fact, you know, I would encourage them to do so and
0: see what happens. Okay, super. And the last question from the, um, from the audience, from the upfront questions. Someone is uh, saying, I landed a, a senior position in a company whose marketing and industry, it's complete new for me. How can I demonstrate my seniority while learning about the industry, the company and the market?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So um, when I was at EasyJet, I was I was basically heading EasyJet's communication, and uh, the new CEO joined, Andy Harrison. He was not from the airline industry, which was very unusual. Also, the predecessor was from the airline industry, and basically, it's airline guys who run airlines by and large. Very few exceptions. Now, he didn't come from this industry, so he was often asked, so how can you run an airline? You never worked in it. You worked in an airline before." And he said, "You know, basically." Well, I'm not here because I know a lot about airlines. I'm here because I know about something else. I have literally hundreds of people out who know how to run an airline. You know, they're pilots, they're crew, they're, you know, they work in operations. They know everything about airlines. And think about this. How many airlines are loss-making that are run by airline guys? Most of them. So we're doing things differently, which is why we're profitable. So you basically turn this around. You're not defending yourself. Yeah, no, I have to learn. Of course, you will learn, and you have to learn the industry you're joining. Of course, goes without saying. But the point is that you embrace it. You tell people why you are there. You bring something to the table that the others maybe do not have. Uh, New skills, a new way of looking at things, expertise and experience from different industries. So again, EasyJet. Country managers were usually brought in from fast-moving consumer goods. Right? They they sold shampoo before, cigarettes, or whatever. You know, didn't matter as long as they understood fast-moving consumer goods. They weren't airline people because the company wanted people to understand commerce. They didn't want them to understand airlines. But, you know, you pick it up. So you embrace it. You 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 clarify for yourself how you phrase this. What's the narrative you want to tell people? You know, I'm here. I was brought in specifically from this sector or this company because you know, for those reasons. And, you know, I'm very keen to learn from you. And don't pretend you know more about the new industry than you you do. I think, you know, this this will not go down well. Be open, talk to people, and then people in a few months will be surprised how quickly you've picked it up and learned. But, you know, I I always, you know, I often deal with new sectors and places I haven't dealt with, you know, that comes with, with my territory. I always try to be very humble because I may not know the industry, may not understand the industry, but that's not why they call me in. They call me in to, to help them with communications. So it's complimentary. Embrace it and, you know, be clear about why you're there and, and t- tell people that.
0: Yep. Thank you so much, Oliver. So now we will start with the, the questions from audience. Please feel free to use the chat. We already have a question from the chat, but please, we will start with a question from Kate.
3: Yeah, thanks very much, Oliver. Very interesting insights that you've given. I wanted to ask, do you have any advice on how to effectively communicate as a female leader? I think a lot of women find themselves in the position that if they are assertive or, you know, if they speak clearly, very often it's misinterpreted as, as perhaps being uh, too forceful or or arrogant? I mean, it's not a a question that I particularly want to have to ask, but I think it's unfortunately something that happens in the industry nowadays. How do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, I think you're right. Unfortunately, this is still the case. I think that that men and women are looked uh, at slightly differently in these environments. Now, I I think it's about being quite intentional, and practicing, so I think you need you need to know where the right zone is of being too outspoken too upfront and maybe too too timid. So if you find this, maybe you know in this environment or with you know peers, uh, explore this. I think this would be quite helpful. So the other point I would make is that it can a- actually have some advantages. What I see at the moment, for instance, on LinkedIn, is that th- th- there's more there are more connections. There's more engagement and endorsement in the female business community. So clearly there are a lot of great voices out there who are quite outspoken about female entrepreneurship and you don't have to be outspoken about a particular topic you can be outspoken about your subject matter uh, your area. but I think there's actually an advantage. I don't think the, the other thing will go away unfortunately anytime soon. It's just a way to manage this but use the advantages and I see this is very active and when we have <coughs> podcast guests for instance, who fall into that category, uh, we see more engagement. I mean, literally, it's, it's really, really interesting. So if you have interesting things to say, plus purpose, that will help you. And this is something men currently don't necessarily do or can do in this area to this extent. So I would say, you know, take the rough with the smooth and, and, and use that to your advantage.
4: Super,
0: thank you. Thank you so much, Oliver. We have a question here in the chat, only to me. So, Sanit has um, the following question. Sometimes I uh, stammer while speaking. Words don't come out of mouth. I know it's kind of fear. What should I do to overcome that and to improve my my speech?
1: Mm -hmm. So, this is slightly outside my area of expertise, but I think I, I would definitely work with someone who has expertise in this area that that could probably be helpful but as i said it's not not necessarily my area of expertise i would add that um, you know there's 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 speaking but there's also writing what i often find is people sort of gravitate naturally to one or the other so a lot of great writers or journalists are often terrible speakers and vice versa so you know think think maybe about what's your strength in terms of communication and play to your strength i think that's in general good advice which is You know, I often tell people, don't don't be in front of a camera if you hate the camera. Don't be on Twitter if you hate hate Twitter. Let's figure out what works for you. What you know, where do you feel comfortable? And maybe that's writing. Maybe you're writing a great blog, but obviously, I understand that in you know, in the business world, we have to often speak and present. So I would I would advise you to do these two things: find a professional to work with, and you know, focus on your strength and make sure people, uh, you communicate well, you know, uh, and play to your strength. Mm -hmm.
0: Super. I hope uh, Sanita Oliver answered to your question. Carmen, please.
3: Thank you for the uh, great answers. I would say to the authenticity thing, because I would bring this topic back again. Actually, I would bring now the cultural factor. I would ask How do you manage to be authentical and believe that, of course, diversity, everyone knows already, diversity brings a lot of every businesses. But I would say in Germany, I experience competitiveness is an important thing. People like to compete. So how do you communicate your uh, values if you know already that it is very difficult in your own environment? Yeah. Could
1: you give me an example of... So what kind of value do you think you cannot openly talk about potentially? In
3: I would say if you believe in teamwork and kindness over, I don't know, own yeah. goals in the department then people might perceive you as naive and then maybe you lose power in your speech because, I don't know, this, I don't know, competitiveness comes first. Like if I can position first why I'm going to believe that I need to give before receiving something.
1: Understood, understood. I mean, you would probably not be able on your own to change the company culture. So it depends a little bit how many allies you have and how many people think similar terms uh, inside the company. Uh, I, I do think that in the long run, the medium run, people tend to gravitate towards companies that suit their style of communications. Some are very collaborative, open, transparent. Uh, they foster uh, you know great team spirit. Others are more competitive and people tend to gravitate towards the company culture and communication style that suits them more. So you can try to you know, accommodate, find allies, and slowly, gradually change things internally. But that's probably hard. So, you know, I, th- I think to to pay attention whenever you you decide to do something else or make a move, to think about very clearly about the company culture and whether that would be good suit. But I'm afraid there's no there's no easy, straightforward answer to this, and it's it's a it's a decision we all have to take. How much authenticity. How much do we value our authenticity? Or are we okay to flow with it, to go with the flow? Which also is, is totally fine if we are okay with it and say, you know, I accept it. You know, the water flows in that direction. I go with water. It makes no sense to swim against the flow. But this is, this is a decision I would take consciously and intentionally, not something to, you know, just, just, it just happens to be this way. So I just accept it. That, that I think, leads to disengagement over time and it's not helping anyone.
3: So, company culture and allies is a very good way to start with, right? Yeah. might so take away company culture and allies and then.
1: Yeah. Do you think, you, I don't know how big the company is, or, you know, do, do you think you and a few allies can, can, can make a meaningful impact?
3: Yeah, I would maybe clarify, I sum up all my experiences in all the companies the last eight years in Germany, and I try to find out, okay, how can I change my communication to really have a greater impact? But that already answers a lot of my questions. Thank you. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, that's certainly, in a lot of German businesses, that's the case. That's that's <laughs> partly cultural, I think. And, you know, I'm, I'm German, so, <laughs> but I decided 10 years ago, I will never work for a company again. I only work for my own. Self and my company, Mm -hmm. Um, so you you can you can read into that that I'm not big on uh, a go with the flow. I had some experience with a well, big, 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 big big company, auto company, and, you know, I spent two years there, and I that you know, not only do I not want to work for this company because it's bureaucratic and slow and I have very little control, I also do not work for any company that is bureaucratic, big, and slow. So I joined a fast-moving scale-up, which was a way better fit, but after the, you know, 10 years of learning, essentially, I said, you know, I, I want to set that on my own because I want to be uh, in control and have, you know, pursue the projects I'm passionate about. Thank you. That's a very, very personal decision, obviously.
0: So we have another question in the chat. What should we do when the CEO only aligns with short-term goal? It's not aligned with our idea, although it's beneficial for company in long-term aspect. Let us take an example of electrification. Everyone rushes for it. But what if we try to do completely different and reinvent the wheel, like hydrogen, fuel or solar power?
1: Interesting. Interesting. Probably transport sector, uh, it sounds like, which, which I know a little about. It's a, really, it's a really good one. Now, it's, it's unfortunately the case that often businesses are too focused on the short term. And it, it's similar to, to the answer I just gave, you know, that you need to think about how, how much impact do you have on the company and the company strategy. Because, you know, in a small company, you may be able with a few allies to change things and, and change things for the better. If it's a very big company, you are one of many Uh, That's obviously harder. Now, the question is, is there a vision that says something else? Is the company's mission vision basically long-term, exciting, uh, but it's just not executed? In which case, you can obviously point to the discrepancy between what's in the mission statement and the day-to-day environment in which you operate. So this could be quite interesting to, to point this out and say, okay, we're coming out of COVID. This is our mission. Let's get back to our mission. So this this could be a way of potentially tackling it, but again, it's it's a tough one, and it depends on how much influence you have inside the company.
0: Mm-hmm. I hope this answer to your question, uh,
4: Gaurav. Yeah, it answers well. Hmm. Yeah, like in my previous company where I worked, we have built an electrical road roller like almost 10 years back, and at that time, this project was stopped in the prototype stage. And today, if you see, the situation has completely changed. The companies are more preferring environmental solutions, like going for battery-driven cars or automobiles or electrical rollers, excavators. But since 10 years back, we have proposed the company to get it forward. But somehow the project was stopped and we, we were at the same stage after the 10 years. And our competitors have shown... Their products in a well advanced manner compared to us.
1: Mm, yeah. And you can come up to effects, right? What's the potential for these new technologies? And what's yeah. the risk of not getting into these now, right? So yeah. there's probably good good business, long term business case to be to be you know produced on on these technologies. So yeah, that I, I agree. I mean, it's often, a risk to the company's long-term future to just focus on the short-term. But unfortunately, that's that's what often happens, especially if it's a publicly listed company.
4: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, thank you for
0: your answer also. Thank you. So we will continue our questions with uh, Chen.
2: Thank you, Irina. And thank you, Oliver, uh, for the interesting talk. And I have here two points to ask you. And first one is, how do you deal with the failure culture? Personally, and also like if you're a CEO of a new organization, let's say it is a German company and failure culture, as we learn it from our class here, is something that has to be taken seriously in Germany and that people are not so willing to, you know, to forgive certain mistakes that we have made here. So it's very culture dependent. And how would you then, as a person coming from another company, uh, from another country, deal with this uh, sort of change? in the new company this is the first one and the second one is um right now ceos are serving more and more on a short-term basis yeah we are seeing more managers leave the company after only a couple of years and people are putting more emphasis on short-term success of the company and just like what um Gareth was saying late and um, previously yeah people are only looking on the short-term success and and if you're a ceo would you focus on the short-term success as well but also keep an eye on the long term or how would you want to to like ensure that the company or the strategy that you set is can be carried out long term if you are not there for the long term let's see. thank you mm-hmm.
1: thank you John. Super interesting question. I think on the first one, the failure culture, I agree with you. In Germany, failure culture is not big. Traditionally, it's you want to save face, you don't want to fail, you don't want to be associated with failure. So that makes companies and individuals often quite risk averse. I have, to, I have two CEOs uh, in my masterminds who are currently writing books about failure because they see this problem and they want to encourage others, first of all, to, to avoid failure, of course. and Failure isn't fun. You want to avoid it if you can, but also to make it acceptable and basically look at it in a more rational way that you have to risk something in order to have big success, right? And, and also, German companies have done pretty well over the last hundred years or so with slow, incremental growth. Working on industrial products, every iteration will be a little bit better than the last. But we haven't been good at working on so disruptive technology that requires big leaps in imagination and big risks, obviously. So I think that I think this is slowly changing. A lot of companies are more willing to endorse risk, and you know what. What I would recommend if if you have organizational power in any way, you know, maybe you've heard of skunkworks, that often the risk aversion is so ingrained in the company that it's very hard to change that. So you have to create a different unit where people are allowed to fail. And this is where companies often set up accelerators, biz labs, and, you know, there are lots of names for this, but essentially a different unit outside the organizational structure that reports to the top where people are encouraged and brought in to specifically work on high-risk products. So the the company is protected in a way, uh, but also the people who are willing to fail are allowed to experiment. And a lot of companies are doing this. Not many are really good at it because there's a lot of talk uh, a lot of you know a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of good intentions, but not necessarily good execution, so there's certainly work to be done. but I think you need to separate the two organizationally and your other question short term long term success you know I think it's like in private life right you know, you probably want to go out and have a drink with your friends or nice meals. So you're spending some money now and not thinking about the long-term future. But you also want to make sure that, you know, you, you're building your long-term future. And I think just like we in our private lives have to balance the two, we don't want to just live in the future, just save every penny and just, you know, when we're 65, we can retire, and, you know, we have lots of money. No, we want to live today, but we also realise we're probably going to be around tomorrow or next week. So, you know, we want to make sure that in the long term, in the medium term, we have a uh, resources to fall back to and this is this is the same for companies we have realistically you have to balance the two if you if you only focus on the long term you probably run out of money you know, if you don't sell now, there's no income, you're relying on investors. And this is often, you know, when people run out or companies run out of runway. If you only focus on the short term, you run out of new invention, innovations and products a few months, years down the line. And this is what happened, for instance, with the American car companies. And I work for one. This is exactly the problem. They killed the electric car, even though it was the future, because they were earning good money with the gas guzzlers. And then 2008, 2009 financial crisis, you know, that that came home to roost. And uh, hopefully the learning is, yes, you have to sell cars today, like the German car manufacturers, but you're working on the technology of tomorrow, whether it's hydrogen, whether that's electric, you know, electric cars, e-mobility and so on. You need to find a balance to have a valid business, a viable business today and a viable business tomorrow. And, you know, this is often hard, but I agree often one is prioritized over the other and that doesn't go well in the long term.
2: Thank you.
0: So we still have two questions from the Bloom audience, so we will continue with uh, Sankar, please.
3: Hello, thank you. Thank you, Erika. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Oliver. Um, My question to you is, I have two questions for you, basically. So my first question is, in in my personal life, I felt that whenever we put in a little bit of time every day towards doing something, we get like uh, the maximum amount of results. So in your experience, what do you think is the, you know, like the minimum amount of time that we can put in every day so that we can go from, let's say, being an average speaker to being a pretty good speaker? Maybe we'll not get to the CEO level, but like what is how can we get started?
1: Correct. Uh-huh the second question
3: yeah uh, and the second question is that was the, that was a little bit more personalized to my, to myself so, you know I've probably spoken for like maybe 30 seconds but like if you have some uh, tips for me a person like me right um, what would those be
1: mm-hmm. okay sure uh, great questions by the way so a little bit of time I agree you know uh, consistency leads to momentum and that leads to change so uh, I think even 15 minutes a day in terms, you know focusing on communication would you will see massive results relatively quickly. This is an, this is interesting that even after one coaching, after a few coaching sessions, you see complete transformation because people are often made aware of how they communicate. Maybe they weren't aware and they see for themselves that you know, they, they can improve and then they focus on this improvement. And 50 minutes is maybe just giving one speech. You, you know, your signature talk, I talked about it before. The TED talk is 50 minutes. So if you craft one, over the course of a week, say, and then the other week, the next week, you give it every morning. Imagine how much better it is, after, you know, after another week. So within two weeks, you can craft a signature talk, probably by spending 50 minutes on this in the morning. And What would be my advice to you? It's hard to do it on your own. So can you have a mastermind? Can you have a peer group, a friend who you can do this with and you help each other? And the camera doesn't lie, and the way we do coaching with CEOs is often, you know, they, they, you know, it's hard to give advice to CEOs. Often, they're especially, you know, they have big egos, they have not a lot of time, so sometimes they're not too open to get to get critical feedback, right? So what I do is I film them, I let them do this, I let them give a speech, a presentation, and show it to them. And I often don't even have to say anything because they just see it. There's so, a, oh my god, I'm so wooden. Oh my god, I'm waffling. You know, so even if you if you just do this 50 minutes on your, on your own in the morning, take a camera, just use your phone and a, you know, and a tripod, film yourself giving a speech, giving a presentation, watch it and you will improve rapidly. The camera doesn't lie. It's your, it's your ally. And I think the reason people often don't do it. And, and also don't listen to their own, say, podcasts or audio recordings, is because they find it weird to listen to your own voice and to listen to, to to watch yourself on video. Now, this is something you get over with, with practice. It's, it's just weird a few times, and it's just how it is, right? And you see the improvement, and then you enjoy the improvement, and you enjoy the whole process much more. So, you know, ensure the camera is your friend, make mistakes when no one's watching, right? Improve when no one's watching, and just practice 50 minutes in the morning with a friend or your camera really great tip thank you thanks a lot
0: super we have here a question from daniel in the chat unfortunately he doesn't have a good internet connection so that's why he wrote in the chat so the question is what recommendations for communicating with co-workers and managers with a great difference in age so older do you have Normally, the different mindset uh, doesn't allow a smooth transition to towards innovation and new technology. Everyone knows in Germany a little, we are uh, a step back with the innovation and the technology. So, yeah. I, it's it's really a great question oliver what what uh, are your advices
1: yeah yeah i th- I think it starts with mindset right so it 's easy to say for a young person you know, these these old geezers, they, they don't know the first thing about technology and for the old ones to say oh, these millennials oh, you know, so I think we should all get past that mindset. I would never say anything bad about you know a particular generation because we're all individuals, so once we get past the mindset of they don 't know anything they don 't understand anything they haven 't been around the block long enough. and and just appreciate what we can all bring to the table. And these different strengths are actually fantastic and and complementary often. So my team is is also mostly younger. as usually graduates. We train them. They stay for a few years and then go on to bigger, better things. So I have quite a lot of experience with, you know, talking and leading people who are 15, 20 years younger than I am. And um, I think it's just appreciating what they bring they're often so good with technology, they're digital natives, they understand and and pick up technology, social media trends, digital communications trends very quickly. That's their strength. There are some weaknesses and, you know, I can learn from them and I've learned a lot from them in terms of digital communications, but there are also things I can teach them, often like media relations or, you know, I've seen more business cycles, surely. So I know what's coming, hopefully, I've, I've decent idea of what's coming after covid right it's probably going to be quite an exciting time so i've seen more business cycles i have more experience i've you know talked to many more clients so we appreciate that we can learn from each other rather than having the mindset of oh, you know they, they probably don't know anything they're, they're you know they're um past their peak or they don't know anything yet so let's get out of those boxes that we put each other because of age and you know appreciate what we can all bring all these different experiences because diversity is is many things and age is actually one of them because age comes with different experiences having grown up in a different time understanding business maybe from a different perspective and this is probably an underappreciated aspect of diversity but but i would i would encourage anyone to you know to take it as seriously as other aspects of diversity
0: so we move on with uh, anas please Thank you, Rena Thank you, right. Oliver.
3: My question to you, Oliver. So, uh, according to you, what would be the main challenges that an introvert CEO can face with it when it comes to both verbal and non-verbal communication? And um, by introversion, I mean the need to focus towards more thoughtful and inwards activities.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, play to your strength. We we all have a different comfort zone when it comes to communications and if yours is maybe one to few rather than one to many as an introvert or speaking generally about introverts they often find it quite uh, tiring and energy draining to speak to a lot of people whereas they sometimes really enjoy having intimate conversations with just a few people so my my advice would be to play to your strength understand and be intentional about the the communications channels and the formats you choose uh, and and you know make make the best of that or use that to your advantage but being mindful and being you know having the having having the, the self awareness to know what works for you and what doesn't is the first step and then you just focus on what works best for you and as i said you know a lot of great leaders are introverts they spend the time uh, and you know that they've learned to become top-notch communicators. Steve Jobs is a great example. You can watch his first TV interviews on, on YouTube in the you know from the 1970s, and he's basically he's sick with excitement, literally sick with excitement. So he has obviously come a huge long way. You know from uh, almost being impossible for him to give an interview to being that you know that man on stage that everyone admired. Richard Branson, you know, is not great in interviews, but you know. He knows his stuff, and he's successful. He's he's a, he's dyslexic as well. So you don't have to come with you know the natural bravado persona uh, in order to be great leader and CEO. Elon Musk, you know, pretty bad at inter- really bad at interviews, but a great communicator. So when you look at you know the, the the most successful business people out there, many of them are actually introverts or have had some challenges to overcome, like dyslexia when it comes to communication. So you know, know your strength and, and focus on those. Thank you so much.
0: Another question from the chat from Philip. When you are entering in an established company to build a new department, how do you communicate with the other heads of positions and how you you can make yourself, you know uh, people uh, the the other heads to listen to you?
1: It's a great question. I think I think it's, again, knowing your narrative. It's, it's the steps we talked about at the beginning. So you need to know and be sure about what your narrative is when you go into the new company, what you want to achieve ideally in the first 100 days. So when you enter these first conversations, obviously you want to listen a lot because they naturally know more about the company than you do at this stage. So listen a lot, but also have your own narrative, your own story to tell. Which, which probably includes the reasons why you are there. What do you bring to the company that maybe is unique that will help the company grow and move forward? So, you know, first listen, but then have a great narrative and be, don't be shy to share your narrative.
0: Okay. Alexander, please.
4: Thank you very much, Irina. Good evening together. Hello, Oliver. Thank you very much uh, for this great talk. I would like all to you maybe recognize there are two young ladies, uh, which are students from me right now. Um, this is Zoe and Suan. I don't, you do not fall off your chairs right now because they might be a bit shy. Those ladies are hopefully not the female leaders of tomorrow, but maybe next week. And the question I would like to address to you, Oliver, is do you have any recommendations for young ladies who are right now still at school, but they will actually, from my point of view, will make a great career. What can those young people do to establish their reputation from the very beginning on? Are there any recommendations to give? And maybe you can talk quite slowly because they might have problems to understand your fluent English. Ah, okay. yes.
1: That's a great What level do you think they are at at the moment in terms of communications or visibility?
4: At the very beginning. We're just talking about some TikTok videos and Instagram uh, tryouts for dinies. But um, I guess they have the potential to become really good. And um, so it might be the case. Are there any advice like do not TikTok to ruin your reputation or be careful uh, what you do in the early stages on Instagram, something like this? It depends what sector
1: they are in and what the objectives are. I would always start with a strategy to see what's my objective, what's my positioning. And then you will you, you will quickly understand whether that's TikTok, whether it's Instagram, whether that's LinkedIn, or something completely different. So I would always start with the objective and the strategy, and then the tactics follow. And I think this is a common mistake that in communications people say, oh, I, I want to be in the media, I want to be on LinkedIn, I want to have a podcast. Okay, why? Think about the strategy first. Now, what I mentioned before, I think, is also true in this instance, that crafting your own signature talk will be such a catalyst to tease out the best story you can possibly tell in a relatively short period of time. So that allows you to to leapfrog a lot of the other uh, communications activities that you could engage in and potentially spend a lot of time in. So if you spend the next couple of weeks just crafting that one 50-minute great talk that will give you so much ammunition, so much interesting insights and stories. And then then practice it and go on stage and don't be shy. You can spend a lot of time on TikTok and Instagram. Maybe that's the right way. But I think you always need that kind of the, the, the story, the 15 minutes of you know your TED talk, your signature talk. That's where leaders are born, right? That's really where people pay attention. If you nail that, a lot of other things will just fall into play. So if you're in a sort of, I want to make progress quickly. This is what I would focus on the next couple of
4: weeks. Thank you very much.
0: Super. Oliver, we have a question kind of um, real life example. So, all of us, we were junior at the beginning, and uh, we were always asked by the seniority level to make presentations, to prepare their own presentations, but we never had the chance and unfortunately it's still happening also nowadays not no, we didn't have never the chance to pitch that, those presentations you know so everything was going to the to the boss and they were taking all the benefits and all the respect and um, I think it's quite hard then you as a junior to gain your seniority level, uh, seniority level to pitch your own presentation or to yeah, to, to make your, your face, you know, so the C-level to see you and to see how great job you can do, not only to say secretary job, so that you have capacity and uh, everything to, to pitch to them. How, how you can deal with these uh, situations? Great
1: question. Yes, in the beginning, you, you have to learn how it works, so you do it for others, and, and we still do, right? We, we do it for our clients. So I, I think it's about taking the initiative, and it doesn't have to be a huge talk or a long presentation. I think you, you you develop an idea that you could own. Think about, you know, what's is there a gap in the company? Maybe an interesting issue, a forward-looking issue that no one's really owning at the moment, and try to... Uh, try to own that. And often it doesn't take a lot. If no one's really working on this issue, you probably can become the internal expert. So become known for one thing that you're an expert in can be extremely helpful because it's called the halo effect, right? So as soon as we trust someone on a particular issue, we trust that person on other issues as well. So the trust basically radiates out. So you want to focus on building trust, competence and uh, awareness inside the company on a particular question that could also be quite uh, you know forward-looking, and often it's the younger people who see this, right? You see what's going on out in the world, you see the latest trends. You're closer to the trends than someone in the corner office, so you can you can try and own that issue. And if that works, it will immediately help you help with your standing in the company and probably uh, earn you you know a lot of brownie points towards your your next promotion and the next stages in the company.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for the answer. If there are some other questions from the audience?
3: Well, I would jump then just to ask because, Oliver, you are a great communicator and a CEO should speak by himself, but uh, in the video field, for example, we sometimes recommend to other people to go in front of the camera because they are better. Can you send someone for you in a certain environment because they are great communicators?
1: Yes except for in some, some, some instances, yeah, there's certain things. So first of all, who's a good communicator? That's, 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 a, that's an important factor, but it's not the only factor because the person needs to have something to do with the topic of the conversation, right? So if it's the CFO and it's a customer issue, there would be a disconnect. So you want to ensure actually that most people in the leadership team are trained and are competent and confident to speak in front of a camera, microphone, or, you know, put them in front of a, of a journalist. So that's a matter of training. They can all learn it. They should all learn it. It comes with a job description in my view in these, in these days to be a good, at least a good communicator, a decent communicator that, you know, doesn't cause an uproar when they're in front of a camera. So having said that, there are some instances where it has to be the CEO. The CEO is is the person who needs to speak in case of a crisis mostly? Not if when I say crisis, it's a serious crisis, not a you know not a critical issue or customer complaint. In those cases, you don't want the CEO to speak on those cases. You only want to speak the CEO on critical, important issues that are his or her level. Right? Uh, anything else can be done by spokespeople or can be done by other people in the leadership team. But for those people, for for those instances, you actually need the CEO. So. Communication should be, uh, there are two factors. Is it done at the right level, right? Is it, is it a CEO topic? Is it, is it a subject matter expert topic? Is it, um, is it a spokesperson topic? And the other thing, as you said, is competence. Is that person really the best person to speak on our behalf? So if you take these two parameters and put those together and add some training, I think you, you're on the right path. Does that make yes. sense?
3: Sorry, I mute myself, thank you. Yeah, I'm in the opinion you need to go out, but sometimes if you tell too much, uh, like Elon Musk, for example, there might be situations where you can send someone that is competent and then do it for you, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, we can talk about Elon Musk all night and clearly... I think he's a good communicator. Sometimes he goes over the top, absolutely. And most companies have the opposite problem. Their CEO doesn't go over the top. The CEO probably doesn't really want to spend a lot of time communicating, even though they should. So the company's not as visible as uh, as possible um and i think that's that means you leave customers on the table you leave money on the table you leave reputation on the table they should go out it's part of the job description uh, and and it requires a willingness to learn and requires a willingness to actually spend some time learning the skills and then you know going out and talking good things about the company here's actually a really good skill If you learn, and this is something we teach leaders, to craft speeches very quickly or craft presentations very quickly, that's a very important skill, a very very important leadership communication skill. Why? Because often in leadership position, you don't have time to prepare. You're really jumping from meeting to meeting. There's so many requirements uh, and expectations for your time that you need to be able to speak competently about the business, the company, yourself, off the cuff so you need to have these building blocks which you then form to new speeches new presentations new inspirational meetings with employees and this is something we teach and it can be done relatively quickly so that you sit down think about what you want to say for 5 minutes uh, and then go into that that talk or speech and this is this is an important skill for leadership positions because You you simply don't have the time to over-prepare every presentation or meeting. It's something you need to want to learn, you know, to do relatively quickly. And this will save you hours every week.
0: Other questions? Do you have other questions? To get more insights and tips for this, I think, Oliver, from tomorrow on, all of us, we will be the best (laughs) leaders uh, in communication.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. And I much appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me and thank you all for spending such a sunny evening uh, talking about communication, something I'm really passionate about. I really appreciate so many joining us tonight and asking. I mean, the questions were just fantastic and spot on. And you could see me sweating here, trying to answer <laughs> all of them off the cuff. So thank you. It was, it was a great pleasure to be, uh, to be with you tonight.
0: Next time, hopefully, we will meet at Campus. Bye bye.